0: Have the privilege this morning to uh, introduce a, a special guest that we have visiting with us today. Liz and Jeff Hartensfeld are with us. He's going to come and and share and talk about mission to the uttermost. Uh, Jeff has is in charge of AGWM mobilization. Is the the title? But what that means is is he. Uh, helps mobilize the church to the ends of the earth and mobilize individuals to the ends of the earth. And he, he helps lead and, and does that in an incredible way. He and Liz and their four kids served in Indonesia for 23 years. Long time. Establishing churches there, uh, multi-campus international church. Jeff is an incredible pastor and a great man of God. And I, I know that you'll be challenged and encouraged with what he brings this morning. Jeff, I'm going to encourage you to come. Can we welcome him this morning?
1: Okay. Thank you, Pastor Zach. And it is great to be in Lafayette, Indiana. It's my first time ever to be here. Uh, Had Bruno's Pizza, got down into the uh, Purdue University crowd down there. Sorry for the loss yesterday, but um, it was a close game, right? That's what I saw on the scoreboard anyway. Um, But really, uh, great to be here. And, uh, you know, I want to just share a little bit this morning with you about how God can set you and set your church on what I call is a Great Commission trajectory. I know that God has an amazing plan for you, for your church, and it is going to take you places that you never dreamed imaginable in your entire life. You know, when Liz and I started out as missionaries, uh, as Pastor mentioned, we were serving in Indonesia for 23 years. Indonesia uh, fourth largest country in the world and the largest Muslim country in the whole world. And uh, we were in our, uh, we'll just say our early 20s. And when we got to Indonesia, we said to our missionary mentor, we, we met and he said to us, what are you good at? And you know, when you're in your early 20s, you think you're good at some things, but I thought honesty was better. And I said, well, we really don't know what we're good at yet. And so he said, well, it's better if we put you in a mission outstation then." Now, Mission Outstation is not always like the best place to go. It means you're going to be like way out there. So, we, we we ended up at what we call, you know, as a Mission Outstation and things were going well. We were teaching and preaching and enjoying ourselves and um, all of a sudden the good news hit us that Liz was pregnant with our first child. So, that was great news. The bad news was that the hospital was a two and a half hour drive from where we lived. So, not leaving anything to chance, I decided we should go early to the hospital. Now, not that early, but, you know, I wanted to get there, see what the place looked like, introduce ourselves, and let them know we'd be there in about, you know, eight months for a baby. So, we we, we made the trip to the city of Kadiri, where, uh, where this hospital was, and uh, we we got there early. Of course, you know, you don't know the roads there. We got to the hospital early, and we're in the waiting room, and, and I'm pacing back and forth in the waiting room like this right here. I'm just going back. I have a lot of nervous energy, you know, and so I'm working it off, you know, and, and Liz finally said, Jeff, you're driving me crazy. I'm not due for like another seven and a half months, and you're already pacing the floor, okay? Go out and take a walk. Go out, you know, do something with yourself, and so I started walking around in this Muslim city of 750,000 people, and it struck me that my daughter would be born in a city with no Christians and no churches. And, and I said to my, something rose up inside of me. Something right here just came up, and I said to my missionary mentor, I said, listen, uh, we're going to relocate, or we're going to spend significant time in that city, and I would like to plant the, the first church here in, in this city, and so we went to that city, and we uh, found a storefront, and we kind of, you know, hunkered down there and waited for the birth of our daughter, began to share Christ with people, and for the next uh, remainder of Liz's pregnancy, we shared Jesus with people, and not one person became a Christian. <laughs> now, that's like ministry in a Muslim country, by the way, if you don't know that. It's not always that easy. And so, you know, we, sh- we shared Christ, and uh, our daughter was born, you know, healthy, praise God. And uh, Two weeks after our daughter was born, I was kind of losing a little bit of hope, wondering if, you know, what we did was the right thing, and so uh, as we were there that weekend, two weeks after the birth of our daughter, I was with one of my Indonesian friends that had come to help us, and we were walking around in the neighborhood, and our neighbor invited us into his home, and as we were sitting in his home and talking about things, and he knew we were Christians, and and finally, very matter-of-factly, he said to us, my mother is dying in the next room. And, and it, you know, he just kind of hit us with it matter-of-factly, and we came to find out that his mother had been a lifelong diabetic, and what happened was she because she hadn't been eating right and not taking her, the right medicine, she had gone into a diabetic coma, and she hadn't been conscious for three days. But when he said, my mother's in the next room dying, this Indonesian brother with me said, God can heal her. Now, I just said, whoa, you know, <laughs> or you don't promise something that we can't, you know, come through on. But he said, no, God can heal her. And so we went into the room where the woman was, and we gathered around her bed. And before we prayed, we began to worship the Lord. How many of you know that God inhabits the praises of his people? And we began to feel the presence of God settle on that room. And really, maybe in that area of that city for sure, it was the first time in history that the name of Jesus Christ was being glorified and lifted up. And we began to just sing simple choruses with no music. And the Lord's presence filled that room. And when we touched her body, it was like an electric shock went through her body. And she opened her eyes and she sat up in bed. She saw that there were some foreigners there serving her, and she said, um, "You know, very, you know, Asians are very hospitable." She said, "I need to go and make you a meal," and so she jumped up and she ran into the kitchen. I said, "This is like New Testament, you know." Jesus had this happen. I'm like, whoa. And she's in the kitchen cooking, and, and the patriarch of the family, her oldest son, was sitting there shaking in his, his head and saying, look, I don't understand your three gods. I don't understand about this Christian thing, he said, but this was real. What do I need to do next? And so he and his entire household gave their hearts to Christ And the second big blow of the miracle was that this woman was not only brought out of a diabetic coma, but completely healed of diabetes for the rest of her life. And the news of the miracle spread throughout the entire area, and that church today numbers over a 1,000 people worshiping the Lord every Sunday. Let me just say that I got bit by what I called was the church planting bug, and for eight for the rest of our time in Indonesia, we repeated this eight times. We went to different places. We planted churches among Muslims, and we repeated this eight times. And and a couple of years ago, as we were on our eighth church plant and things were going extremely well, we were very happy. The Lord began to nudge us and say, a, move, a change is about to happen in your lives. And, and we went back to the Lord, and I said, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm actually good here. <laughs> I know you look at our surroundings in this large Muslim country. Lord, I like it here. You don't need to do anything in my life. I'm happy. I'm comfortable. How many of you know it's dangerous to be in a comfort zone with the Lord, right? It's good here. This is a nice place. I'm happy here, Lord. And, and a few, about a month later, a visiting worship leader came and was leading worship at our church and. We, we used to do this 24-hour worship thing on Muhammad's birthday. Everybody's off, so we would get together and worship for 24 hours. And in the midst of this 24-hour worship, this American worship leader comes down off the platform and says to my wife and I, God told me to tell you that he's going to move you to a very difficult place. And I'm thinking, what, Afghanistan? Iraq? I don't know. I mean, I'm in the largest Muslim country. Where are we going from here, Lord? <laughs> And it was about two weeks later that I got the phone call from the leader of Assembly of God World Mission saying, Jeff, I need you to come back to America and mobilize the American church for missions. That's the hard task that the Lord has called us to do. And so this morning, I'm here because we would like to see you mobilized for missions. And I want you to know that God is not done with the American church yet. That there is a great destiny out in front of us. In the Great Commission. You know, some people say, you know, what makes America a great country? And they allude to a lot of things. I want you to know we're great because we are still the greatest sending missionary country in the entire world. That's why God's blessing stands behind us. And that's why I'm here today to let you know that the task of world missions is not done for us here in the United States. I want to read a couple verses of Scripture for you this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Probably for some of you it's uh, pretty familiar territory, but I'm going to read it for you. Acts 1, 6 to 8 says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. May God add his blessing to the word this morning. You know, as Jesus was with his uh, apostles on literally the last few moments that he was going to be spending with them, Uh, you know, the apostles, as they kind of were sensing that this was the moment where Jesus was going to maybe be speaking his last words, you know, they were asking a lot of questions of him that were in regards to personal matters, I want to think. You know, Lord, when are you going to restore your kingdom? Now, you may think, well, they were so spiritual, they were thinking spiritual things. Actually, what they were asking him was, when are you going to wipe the Romans out and put us back in charge? No, we're, we are an oppressed people, O oh Lord. You know, the Romans are over us, they tax us, they kill us, they do all kinds of bad things to us. We are oppressed, we're poor, we're, we're, things are taken from us without asking, and we're having all of these difficulties, and so when are you going to restore your kingdom? And when Jesus answered, it was kind of interesting that he didn't give them any remedies to what they were thinking about, he said, listen, there's only one thing you need to focus on, and And that is taking the message I gave you from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. He didn't really answer any of the other questions because Jesus knew that what would change the world was the story of his death and his resurrection. And so, you know, they ask him also about when he's going to be returning. I want you to know that you should be more concerned about what, you're going to, what you'll be doing when he returns rather than when he's going to return got a lot of Christians out there who keep saying, looking at the signs of the times and wondering, can we predict the date? When is Jesus going to return? When is the world going to come to an end? I mean, there's so much out there about the apocalypse. The movies are talking about it. The TV shows are talking about it. Everybody in human history is thinking about the end of time and the end of the world. I want you to know, rather than storing up things in your basement, you need to be out there telling people about Jesus, because that's what What he wants people to be doing rather than worrying about what's going to happen at the end. You know, the first thing I want you to know about these verses is that the command of Christ was and is not an option. So, those commands of Jesus to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the earth was not just this optional command of obedience. Again, these were his final words. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but when you hear someone's final words or when you give someone final words, you want them to obey those instructions or at least listen to those instructions. It's kind of nice for me this weekend. I, I do a lot of traveling and speak in different places and because um, we're now located in Missouri. And so uh, for me to travel here, um, I was able to do the trip by car. And uh, I, so I could take my wife and my daughter with me. Okay, so but normally, you know, my my daughter Rebecca, who's very responsible, you know, um, I usually leave her home al- alone. Sometimes, if Liz comes with me, and so if, if Rebecca's home alone, though, when I when I go to leave, my final words to her are not. Now remember, Rebecca, everything that I've taught you about Christianity and love and joy and hope and peace, and no, I say, Rebecca, lights. Doors and dog. Now, make sure you turn off the lights. Make sure you lock the door. Don't burn the house down. And make sure the dog is fed and watered. That's it. It's the essence of just make sure when I get back, the house is still intact. It's the important things. So when Jesus went to go into heaven, and and he could have said, uh, disciples, before I go into heaven, I'd like to review the Sermon on the Mount with you. Do you remember the Beatitudes? Uh, You need to be patient. You need to love. You know, he could have actually gone over a lot of Christian teaching, but instead of going over a lot of Christian teaching, he said, listen, I know that I told you a lot of things while I was here. I shared a lot of different things, but the only thing I want you to know and remember is that the message that I've given you needs to be taken from this place to the end of the earth. Did you know that... 80% of Christians have never led someone to Christ. So that means that 20% of the Christians are doing 80% of the work. You know, imagine if every believer actually participated in the Great Commission. My hope and prayer this morning is that you will look at today's command of Christ This Great Commission trajectory as not an optional command of Christ, but as a primary command of Christ in your life as a follower of him. The second command of Christ, I want to say, sets you on the right trajectory because trajectory without direction can be disastrous. So it sets you on the right trajectory. And what do I mean by that right trajectory? Well, when Jesus was standing there with his disciples, he said, I want you to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the earth. Now, he didn't say, okay, uh, Peter, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and uh, John, I want you to go to Samaria, and uh, Nathaniel, I want you to go to, uh, I'm sorry, Judea and then to Samaria, and um, oh yeah, and Thomas, I want you to go to the end of the earth. He didn't sign it all out. Matter of fact, he looked at all 12 of his disciples, or 11 at that time, and he looked at each and every one of them, and he said, look, you're all responsible for every stopping point in the great trajectory of the Great Commission. You know, I wish I could say to you today that your only responsibility is your own area or your own uh, personal scope of influence, but I want you to know that when Jesus sent the disciples out and gave that command of Christ, he set all of us under the responsibility of bringing the gospel to the whole earth. You know, usually when I'm out doing these uh, conventions and things, a lot of times, you know, we've got, I- I'm, I'm meeting a lot of Christians and, and people look at me and say, well, you're, you're the missions guy. You, you know, Jesus said, end of the earth, that was you, and the rest of us don't need to do anything. And so I want you to know that I also feel equally as responsible for my Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. I did a missions convention similar to this one, um, and uh, at the missions convention, you know, I shared, and, and the, the missions pastor, it was a pretty large church, so the missions pastor said at the end of the uh, service, Uh, me and the missions committee is going to take you out to our favorite restaurant. Now, the, the restaurant they were going to take me to, they said, was a, a Chinese restaurant. And they said, we hope you like Chinese food. I said, yes. Um, if I started telling stories of everything I've eaten over the last 23 years, you know, it would gross everybody out. You know, I mean, I've eaten everything. And so I said, look, there's no food I don't like, so we can go anywhere. They said, great. This is a great restaurant. You're going to love the food. We go there every month with guest speakers and others. They have this reserved table um, once a month for us. They know we're coming. I'm like, okay, great. So uh, we go out to the restaurant and I sit down at this table with a missions committee and there was a gentleman sitting on my left. And as soon as I sat down, uh, he said to me, he goes, how do I really know that you can speak Indonesian? He challenged me, how do I know you can speak Indonesian? I said, well, what am I going to say to him? I said, no, I, I do. I live there 23 years. No, I, I'm I'm fluent in Indonesian, and and, and he, and he sat there next to me, and he said, well, I heard a story once, and by the way, this story is total urban legend. He said, I heard a story once about a missionary who went to a church, and when somebody asked him if he spoke the language, he said yes, and when he went to pray, he actually could only count to 10, so when he prayed, he just counted to 10 in his prayer. No, really, it would kind of be like if you, um, you know, if you didn't know English and I got up here and said, let us pray. One, two, three, four, five. And and he said what the, the problem was is that there was somebody in the audience that knew the language of the people. And so he counted to ten in the language of the people and then went after the service. The person came up and shook his hand and said, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, like that. So he's telling this story to the whole missions committee. So I'm trying to defend myself. And so the, the waitress behind me leans over my shoulder and she puts a dish of crackers in front of me that were like Indonesian uh, crackers. And I said, well, in Indonesian, those are krupuk. Everybody say krupuk. So you can speak Indonesian now, right? I said, those are krupuk. And when I said that, the waitress behind me gasped and said, oh, you can speak Indonesian. And here she was a girl from Indonesia from an unreached people group from the island of Borneo. And then we started speaking in Indonesian. So this guy was like put down big time, okay? Okay. How, how many of you know that God, like, does that stuff for you? You know, I mean, like, you just can't plan that, right? So, here she is, and, and we begin to speak in Indonesian, and uh, one of the things about the diaks of Borneo or Kalimantan now is that in recent times, even in, like, the last 15 years, they've actually still practiced cannibalism, right? And so, she said, have you been to my town? I'm like, yes. And have you ever been up there to preach? I'm like, yes. And... And, and then in English, she says to the group, she goes, this man is brave, because my people are still cannibals, and he's been and preached to the gospel. So not only was I speaking the language, but I also preached the gospel to cannibals. So this guy was like now really, really put down. He wasn't saying anything. She came back, and she delivered all the food to the table, and after she delivered the food to the table, I stopped everyone and said, hey... Um, Her name was Ernie. I said, Ernie, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, I would love that. And one of the things about uh, Muslims in Indonesia is that when they pray, they, they, they hold their hands up like this. I don't know if that's across, probably not in the Middle East, but in in Indonesia they'll hold their hands up as like a sign of receiving the prayer. And and I used to say, well, some Muslims are more Pentecostal than Pentecostals are, you know, because they would lift up their hands. So she closes her eyes and she lifts up her hands, and I stood up in the restaurant and I start to pray for her in Indonesian. Now, if you're a good preacher, you always preach a sermon in your prayer, right? Pastor Zach, we can do that, can't we? So here I am, and I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, I know you died on the cross for this girl, the savior her of her sins, and I know, Lord, that you gave her life for her, and if she would just accept you, her life would change. You know, I'm like preaching the whole gospel message in my prayer. You know, <laughs> I don't invite me out for lunch afterwards because I could embarrass you. You know, so you know, the whole restaurant is like looking like, okay, this guy's out of his mind. You know, what's he doing? I'm praying in Indonesian. I get all done with my prayer. And Ernie doesn't even open up her eyes, but I can see a tear running down her cheek. And when she finally opened up her eyes, she said, I've been in this country for seven years and no one has ever prayed for me. I sat back down and that wise guy sitting next to me wasn't done yet. He said, that's why we need more missionaries here in America. And I didn't get support from this church, but something rose up inside of me. And I looked at him, and I looked at everybody at the table, and I said, you know, you all ought to be ashamed of yourselves. You've been going to this restaurant for months on end, and this girl's been serving your table, and no one among you stopped to ask her what her name was, where she was from, or to offer up a prayer for her. Can I just say that the Great Commission trajectory starts when you walk out the doors and you're eating your lunch at your table, and you're at least trying to engage the people that are talking to you on a regular basis, or at least serving your table there? Can I just say that God has brought the nations of the world here to Purdue University, and I look across the flags that are in the back here, can I say that not only those people, but there are native born sons and daughters of Indiana. There are Hoosiers out there that have still yet to get an accurate and accountable witness of Jesus Christ. And so, if you set your life on a Great Commission trajectory, it begins in Lafayette, it goes to Indiana, it goes to the United States, and then it will take you to the ends of the earth. You need to set that direction correctly as you leave this place today. The third thing is that this command of Christ is the key to unlocking access to spiritual breakthroughs. This command of Christ is the key to unlocking access to spiritual breakthroughs. I wonder if you aligned your prayers, if you aligned your going, if you aligned your giving with this Great Commission trajectory, what would happen in your life? If I can just make a comment about your your go, if you could somehow align your going to a Great Commission trajectory, it would unlock divine appointments and be the key to changing someone's life. I talked with Pastor Zach before the service and said, do you have opportunities for people to go on mission here? And you've got local opportunities in your community. You have other kinds of opportunities that will keep you in the United States. And you've even got mission trips that will go to the Dominican Republic in Israel and places around the world. I wonder... I wonder that if in your lifetime you would give one vacation to a missions trip, what it would do to change your life and to change the world. He is worthy of at least that in your life. You know, when you go to a foreign country, you lose your ability to communicate, you lose your menu, you lose your bed, you lose that little thing called your cell phone. Man, when people lose their cell phones nowadays, they get really cranky, don't they? You go on a mission trip, set your life on a great commission trajectory that'll take you to a part of the ends of the earth, and sacrifice a few of those things. Your life will change forever. If you could align your going in that regard, amazing things would happen. Your prayers. I saw your prayer guide. You've got a prayer room. You're going to have regions of prayer. But I want you to know that when your prayers are set on a Great Commission trajectory, it unlocks the key to answered prayer. The problem with prayer for many Christians is it's all about me and I. We think about our prayer time. We get up in the morning and we pray and say, Lord, I could use this and my family that and my this and I that. And I'm not saying we can't ask God for help in areas of our personal lives, but what if we added in the element and Lord, I don't just pray for myself, but I want to pray for the nations. I want to pray for Jeff and Mary Ann Stone going to Jordan. I want to pray for some of the other missionaries the church supports. And as you start to align your prayers, I mean, this may just be, I guess, the way I kind of think about things. But, you know, when God is up in heaven hearing all those prayers and you're interceding for the nations, I want to say God is pleased with that kind of prayer. He really is. He hears that you're interceding for the nations. And so if you can align your prayers with the Great Commission trajectory, I know that God is going to bless you. The final thing I want to say under this idea of unlocking access to spiritual breakthroughs is if your giving can be on a great commission trajectory, it will unlock the key to unlimited resources. You know, last Sunday, Pastor Zach talked about sometime this, I don't want to call it a dilemma, but it's kind of where this thing is, are, are you preaching that if we give, God will bless us? And even before the service, he and I talked a little bit and If the blessing comes, it's only unlocking more resources to build more of the kingdom of God. You know, I I talked about these uh, church plants that um, Liz and I uh, worked on over the years. And out of those eight churches, something around the number of 139 other churches were started out of the churches that we started. So God was good. A lot of new churches. But many of them were in small rural communities. They were under-resourced and, um, you know, had difficulty finding a place to meet. And so the last church plant we did, things were going really well. God was blessing the church financially and in other ways. Uh, As a matter of fact, um, we had moved our church from a uh, temporary location. We had been meeting in a hotel, and we moved it to where there was a vacant space in the local mall that we took and we built a 400-seat sanctuary inside of some shop houses, and uh, God was really blessing us there. and uh, And I announced to the church and said, um, God spoke to me, and we're going to build a hundred churches for these hundred. and We're going to we're going to set a mark of a hundred churches. Uh, to to build. Now, we had church building down to a science. Uh, Believe it or not, we could build a 200 seat sanctuary if they had the land for about $10,000. So it was a reasonably priced uh, amount of money. And I said, we're going to build a hundred churches in partnership with these local congregations. And when I got done announcing that, um, one of the ladies in the church came up to me and said, "Um, Pastor Jeff, there's two problems with your plan. I said, okay, what what are the problems? And she said, well, first of all, the problem is that 100 times 10,000 is a million dollars. We don't have a million dollars. This is not America. This is Indonesia. We don't have, are you out of your mind? And I said, well, look, I'm a man of faith. Don't talk to me about that. (laughs) She said, secondly, this is the bigger problem. I said, what's that? She said, we don't even own our own church building. So, so let, now she said, what you're doing is off. She said, what needs to happen is we build our church first, and then we build 100 churches for other people, because the way things work in life is you take care of yourself first, and then you take care of others. And I said, well, I guess I didn't think like that. <laughs> And I said, we're going to build these 100 churches. And so we, we got in that program. We started to build those churches, and God was blessing us. And uh, as that was happening, uh, the owner of the mall, we had rented the space, and nobody was using it. But after we got there, restaurants opened up and other shops opened up. And when God's people show up, you know, blessing comes. And so the owner of the mall came and told us that he was going to kick us out and take our space away. Now I'm a good American. I got myself a lawyer. <laughs> and and said, "Look, we're going to fight this thing. I have a lease. It's 5 years. We have a contract." And I went on and on and on. And and then I we I went to church business meeting and told the church, "They're going to kick us out, take our building away." And so um you know, but I have, "Don't worry. You know, I've got legal covering. We can do this." And so, you know, the lady who was kind of down a little bit, got up and said, "Uh, Pastor Jeff, can I make a comment? You know, open church business meeting. And she said, hey, you better be careful because the owner of this property is a powerful man in all of Indonesia. As a matter of fact, when his daughter got married last month, the president of the country came to his wedding, and I know that may not mean a lot here in terms of what that would do, but there it meant he was in relationship with the most powerful people in the country, and she said, Pastor Jeff, if you're not careful, he won't ask for that property back. He'll have you assassinated, she said, and he'll take it back forcefully. So what do you do when somebody wants to assassinate your pastor? You go to prayer. Can I just tell you that prayer works? We called for a 10-day fast and prayer. Fasting works really well also. And so we went to a fast and prayer, and we started to fast and pray and believe that God would somehow take care of our situation. And so, finally at the end of the 10 days of prayer and fasting, I made an appointment to see the owner of the property. And I went into the owner of the property and he is not a believing man. And so he, you know, he's going to be we weren't sure what religion he was exactly because when his daughter did get married, he had people from all the different religions there, but he was certainly not a Christian on any on any level. And when I went in there to meet him, I told him, "Hey, listen, please don't take the property away. We're good tenants. We're good we pay on time, and I pleaded with them. I didn't tell them we were going to take legal action or any of that, and I just said, look, we just want to be able to, be, to stay in this property, but just in case you decide to kick us out, I said, there's a six-story parking garage in the back of this mall. I wonder if you would give me the top deck of this uh, parking garage to build a church. You know, he kind of grunted and groaned throughout the whole process and didn't say all that much to me, but dismissed me from the room finally, and I went back to my office, not sure what was going to happen. But seven days later, he delivered to me the blueprints to build a 1,000-seat sanctuary on top of the parking deck of that mall. It's a miracle. The greater miracle was that he built the entire thing for me with his own money. Can I just tell you that when you align your finances with a great commission trajectory, which sometimes doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense Take care of myself first and then I'll take care of God's business. If we take care of God's business, which is seeing the world come to know him as Lord and as Savior, he will take care of you. He will unlock resources that you never dreamed possible. How could it be in the largest Muslim nation in a world that a man who doesn't even believe in him would take his own money and build a church? It's only God that can do those kinds of things. Set your life on a Great Commission trajectory and God will take care of everything else. I want to say a word of prayer over you before Pastor Zach comes. Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for Connection Point Church, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, people here today would hear your command to go from Lafayette, from West Lafayette to Indiana, to the United States, even to the end of the earth. Lord, even if they can't imagine it, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would give them a vision, Lord. Give them a vision, Lord, of your Great Commission trajectory for their lives. So, Lord, I commit my friends here today to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you, Jeff. We're going to give you opportunity today to do exactly as he shared, to put your life, your finances in particular, on Great Commission trajectory. I presented last week the concept, the idea of faith promises. If you brought that card and stuck it in your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to take that out right now. We're going to take a moment now to fill those out. We're going to collect those here in a minute. I do hope that you took time this week to pray over that card and and ask the Lord, God, what would you have me do? I, I shared last week that as we look at the Bible... There's three levels of giving. There's tithing. We should all uh, honor the Lord with our finances to say, Lord, we, we simply give that 10% back to you knowing we can do more with a blessed 90% than we can do with our own 100%. And that's what the tithe is. And then there's a second level of offerings as we do pumpkin palooza and ask, hey, could you bring in a bag of candy as we do backpack drives to help local families that need school supplies. That's the level of offering. And then this third level is what I like to put in the category of supernatural giving, which says, God, I am trusting you to do through me what I could never hope to do on my own. And that's what a faith promise is. Uh, Shelly was gone the last couple of days, and she got in at 11 o'clock last night. (laughs) I realized we didn't talk about, we had talked early in the week, hey, let's be praying. What does God want our family to do in the way of faith promise? So this morning, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk. Our Sunday mornings are busy so I leaned over in our weekly review and said, so by the way, what number did God give you? And it was the exact same number that he dropped in my heart. And so I know and I look forward to this year to see God do what is not a budgeted line item we, we have in our budget ties, we have in our budget offerings, this isn't in our budget. So I challenge you this morning, stretch your faith this year by way of faith promise That is what we talk about in terms of getting our finances on Great Commission trajectory and see what God does in your life. So if you could take a minute, look at that card. This is new to the church, so nobody needs to select renew because that would be a $0 amount, right? So you should select new, that this is a new opportunity this year as it relates to faith promise. There's two options there, a weekly faith promise, a monthly faith promise. I would encourage you, check what applies to you, what the Lord has dropped in your heart. I'll tell you. Uh, Shelly and I, we, we believe in an annual amount. They don't even give the option for it. So I'm going to write in my own thing. Why not? Um, so we're just going to put that annual amount and trust that the Lord is going to bring that in his time. And we're going to give that as the Lord provides, you can fill out your name. And what's going to happen is there's two pieces to this card because one is for you. And I'd encourage you stick that bookmark in Psalm 67 that this year as you go about your year and say God I know I have been blessed for the sake of the nations you're going to see the Lord do and bring that in so you can tear that part off so one part the small part is for you I'd put it in Psalm 67 as a bookmark to remind you Lord I can't wait to see what you do this year that other part our floor floor hosts are going to collect so go ahead take a minute if you've got your spouse here and you haven't had a chance to talk I'd encourage you to do that but fill that dollar amount in. Floor host, I'm going to invite you to come forward, and we're going to collect those. So floor host, if you'd come. As the floor hosts have come, we're going to collect those faith promise cards. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would encourage each and every one in this room. Lord, the amount doesn't matter. What matters is participation. So Jesus, we're asking for 100% participation that everyone in some way would say, King Jesus, I understand you have called us to the uttermost, to the ends of the earth. And so Lord, I'm going to respond to that today. And so God, I ask that everyone would participate in some Measure today to say, Jesus, I, I today from this moment, I may not have been living as a great commissioned Christian, but I choose to do it today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless these cards as they go, Lord. As we we count those totals, it's not something we're going to follow up on, but we're going to report next week and celebrate what you intend to do through this church in the coming year in the way of global expansion. And so, Lord, we look forward to next Sunday an opportunity to celebrate. And Lord, so right now we just pray that as those cards come in, that it would be reflective of your heart for the nations and what you desire to do through this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As that offering bucket passes you by and you turn in those cards, I just invite you to stand as we close in song this morning.